You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. So it's a real pleasure to be back with you and uh, enjoy the worship as I have so much. Pray that I would and did. And uh, it's great to uh, gather together in the presence of Jesus, isn't it? I also looked in at New Day uh, with the uh, 7,000 teenagers. It really is a huge privilege to be there. And they were greatly blessed this year, particularly uh, in having uh, Francis Chan with them from the USA. Amazing guy who really did bring the presence of God in a wonderful way. But so much of it was so exciting, thrilling to see hundreds of uh, young people enjoying God together. Uh, I just want to mention a couple of books I brought. There's a table uh, near the door as you leave uh, with books, uh, some that I've written, one called God's Lavish Grace, which uh, has been something of an emphasis on our ministry and come through our worship this morning, how God has graciously accepted us thoroughly. I was so blessed when a young guy came up to me uh, at New Day, just wandering around. He said, I, I, I happened to hear what you said last year, and I got your book. He said, it's been so life-changing. It's so thrilling when teenagers come up and tell you things like that. Uh, so God's lavish grace, I do commend it to you. And then the one or two books by my wife is all, also... And uh, some of us feel, well, I'm not really a reader. I don't get into books much. Uh, but I, w- I would especially commend this to you because it's got chapters that only last like two pages and uh, three pages here and there. And uh, they're, they're just fun chapters, and they, they really do bring you into the presence of God. Actually, the publishers came to Wendy and said, could you write a book that could be on the coffee table or the bedside that you could just dip into and feel that you meet with the Lord Jesus and be refreshed. And uh, I think she's got a special skill in being able to make stories from life come alive and uh, where you really do meet with Jesus. I know when I first uh, saw it, it was put on my desk by my secretary and I I couldn't stop reading it myself. I read read on and on. And uh, I've read half of it again quite recently and uh, it makes you chuckle, makes you weep a bit. It's really a beautiful, beautiful book. Some of the chapters... A Daughter's Decision, In Praise of Older Women, uh, Through the Curtain, Wedding Anniversaries, Notes on Worship, Babies, Daffodils and Other Smells, Rugby for Grandmas. That's a fun one. And uh, you'll find one or two insights into Tim when he was a baby. You might find a really uh, fascinating book to read. Okay, so I just commend those books uh, and one or two other titles there uh, on the table before you go. Okay, we're going to be looking at the story of Jonah this morning. I know Jonah's not the easiest book to find, so you can just uh, let me read it to you if you like. Jonah, I'll read through uh, chapter 1, and uh, we'll consider it together. Okay, Jonah, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city. And cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea. And there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God. And they threw the cargo which was in the ship 
into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone, had gone below into the hold of the ship, laid down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it you're sleeping? Get up. Call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we'll not perish. Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened. And they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. So they said to him, what shall we do to you? That the sea may become calm for us. For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. The sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they couldn't, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, don't let us perish on account of this man's life. Don't put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped. It's raging. The men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Father, we thank you so much for your presence with us. We love these truths that we've been celebrating. Lord Jesus, we honor you. The lamb who was slain, the king who has conquered death, Holy Spirit, we ask you right now, come upon us. Come be our teacher. Come, Lord, we pray, lead us into truth. Let truth invade our lives. Let us be impacted by it. Let our lives be changed for your great glory, Father. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Well, Jonah's one of those famous Bible stories, and uh, I guess it's one that we sometimes raise a few questions about. You know, is it fiction? I mean, strange, strange story. A man being swallowed by a fish, being spewed up on land, uh, a whole city repenting. I mean, there's so many weird things in there. Uh, Can it be real? Some would say it's a kind of parable. It's like the nation of Israel, historically, having drifted from God, was actually kind of swallowed up by the empire of Babylon, Uh, for 70 years and subsequently spewed out again into the purposes of God. You think, "Mm, is it a parable? Well, actually, uh, Jonah occurs elsewhere in the Bible, and Jesus referred to Jonah in the same kind of breath that he did about the Queen of Sheba. Uh, You'll find in similar setting, he talks of the Queen of Sheba, who's a historic figure. You'll find in other uh, ancient histories, and he speaks of Jonah similarly, 
And you'll find Jonah is referred to in Second Kings and chapter 14, where at the end of, or towards the end of that chapter, it says that Jonah prophesied of the extension of the boundaries of Israel under the uh, kingship of uh, Jeroboam, who was uh, uh, actually a very backslidden king. He was a, uh, an ungodly man. But under his reign, it says that the borders were extended, uh, which were spoken of through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was in Gath-hepha. So here's this guy. He's appearing in another setting. And interestingly, he is able to prophesy success, as it were, for the nation at a season when it was really backsliding. It was not going God's way, and yet they enjoyed favor, economic breakthrough, success. So Jonah had a pretty easy time. Not like most prophets in the Bible where the nation begins to drift from God. You get men like Elijah coming and confronting the king and saying, what are you doing? What are you playing at? And Jeremiah confronting uh, those who are in charge. Jonah says, God will bless, and he did bless. Life's pretty good for Jonah. And uh, he didn't have to confront. He didn't have to get into an uncomfortable area. He's just a famous prophet who what he said happened. And then there comes this rather remarkable day in his life when God starts saying to him something he doesn't want to hear. And God gives him instruction that he doesn't want to receive. He's told to go to another nation and warn it about impending judgment. And he's got no appetite to do that thing. He's become rather comfortable. He's become one who's not really uh, in God's heart, in God's purpose. He doesn't want uh, to really risk anything for God. And this comes as a a shock. Now, I would say this. he, He was an authentic prophet. He was an authentic prophet. We often think, well, what is a prophet? Sometimes you you find uh, uh, famous, maybe political figures are called prophets. I I read Boris Johnson's book about Churchill a couple of years ago. Churchill is often thought of as like a prophet. He stood alone. He stood against the tide. He was ultimately vindicated. He became a voice that the nation listened to, and they even now treasure that voice that spoke, that prophetic kind of voice. Mandela would be similar. I guess some of you have read his wonderful story, and uh, you, wow, what a guy. He stood against the tide. He spoke. Uh, I read Lincoln's uh, biography recently. A man, again, who stood against the tide. Think These were prophets. They were extraordinary men. And certainly they've got something in common with Bible prophets who very often stood against the tide. People are going that way, and the prophet says, no, this is where you're meant to go. This is the truth. This is relevant. And yeah, they're a bit like prophets. But these characters I've just mentioned were not actually Bible prophets. Churchill said this, the further you look back into history, he was a student of history, wrote books of history, he said the further you could see forward. Now, that's not, uh, that's not like a Bible prophet. A Bible prophet is characterized by this. It starts, this chapter starts, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. That's a prophet. A prophet is one that God speaks to. God's voice is heard. They have this unique, in the Old Testament especially, you find these unique characters, and they're famous guys, Elijah, even Moses was a prophet, 
uh, and all Isaiah, Jeremiah, they're unique often in that generation. Why? God draws near to them. Jeremiah's just a young guy and says, the Lord said, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. When I speak to you, you're going to speak. You'll be my mouthpiece. And so Bible prophets are people that God just initiates a relationship with, speaks to them, and they speak on his behalf. They're not students of history. They're not people who've worked it all out. They're not people with a moral conscience who feel they must address the culture of their day. They're people that God arrests and speaks to. And they, they feel themselves to be the mouthpiece of God. And Jonah, the word of the Lord, came to Jonah. That's how it is. That's how this book starts. That's what it's all about. And God starts to say stuff to him that he doesn't want to hear. And often you'll find the prophets in the Old Testament are so out of step. You find Amos, the prophet, he preaches and he says, I'm a farmer. And, and he begins to preach and prophesy. And people say, oh, go and prophesy somewhere else, you professional prophet. He says, I'm not a professional prophet. I'm a farmer. And thus is the Lord to you. They're kind of captivated by this word. But there's another wonderful word in the Old Testament. It says this. In the last days, I'll pour my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. God says that in the, end, in the age we live in, the age after the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the outpouring of the Spirit, this gift of prophesying will be widespread. It's going to be our... In fact, God says in Jeremiah, I will make a new covenant. And in this new covenant, all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. Not the special guy. Not, oh, we're going to find Samuel. He'll probably have heard from God. No, they will all know me. Jesus said this, my sheep hear my voice and follow me. So now, dear friends, as we look at Jonah, we can line up with him. Because we all are people who know what it is for the word of the Lord to come to us. We can find God speaking to us. Some of you are in this town, in this room. Why? Well, actually... If I asked you some questions, you'd say, well, actually, the Lord spoke to us. We were over there, and actually, God said, no, I want you here. And we changed the course of our lives. We changed what we were doing. Why? But this, this amazing thing, that God actually speaks to us. God calls us. I've had some wonderful conversations this last week. Up at New Day, I spoke to a guy from, who's now currently in South Africa, and he, he comes from a town in England. He said, God spoke to me and my wife. We've gone. See, people hear God speak to them about all sorts of things. Sometimes we're thrilled to hear it. Sometimes we're a bit like Jonah. I'm not sure I wanted to hear that. I'm not sure I want to do that. Now, that's one of the privileges and one of the challenges of being a child of God because God says things to us and we're mm, not sure I want to do that. I'm not sure I want to go there. Uh, but we have this privilege. We, we hear the voice of God. He, he begins to speak into our hearts. He begins to awaken a consciousness. God is speaking to us. God is speaking to us. I know one guy who God spoke to. It's time for him to move from town A to town B. And uh, he, he was living in Sussex. God spoke to him about going to one of the um, Oxford, Oxford, I went to Oxford. And, uh, on, 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 uh, and he felt, 
I'm not sure if I want to. Then another guy spoke to him prophetically. Then another guy. Then another guy. Until, I better go. <laughs> it's like this thing was happening to him. But Jonah not only didn't want to go, he was unlike some of the other Bible prophets. You see, when God spoke to Abraham and said, I am going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, you don't find Abraham disinterested. You find him saying, oh God, please. If you find 50 there, will you spare it? If you find 40 there, if you find 20. So prophets, sometimes they say, oh God, please. Because they've got this privilege of access. Moses was similar. God said to Moses, I'm going to wipe out. I'm going to judge. Moses, oh, don't do that, Lord. So prophets have this massive privilege. They can know God's speaking to them and they can speak back to God. We can cry out to God. We can be in fellowship with him. Have this Privilege of being in fellowship with God. In fellowship with God. But here we find God says to him, go to Nineveh, go to that great city. And he has no appetite for doing it. He doesn't want to go there. He's not interested in going there. Let's just look at the story. See, God may speak to you. He may speak to you things like this. I want you to befriend that refugee family. Oh, wow, no, no, come on. That's going to be messy. That's going to be demanding. I want you to speak to that refugee family. I want you to join that club so you can meet people. Oh, Lord, it's fussy. I don't need that. I want you to raise your children biblically. Oh, who does that these days? Such a hassle. I want you to love your wife sacrificially. Come off it. It's all equal these days. Love her sacrificially. I want you to respect your husband. Love him. Respect. Oh, come on. Who does that today? All sorts of words can come to us which we don't necessarily find palatable. We're not necessarily interested in that. So we can line up with Jonah. Jonah, the word of the Lord came to Jonah with clear instructions, clear direction, things that God required. God may be saying to you, why are you developing that relationship? That guy's not a believer. What are you doing? Yeah, but, oh, come on, I'm speaking to you. You'll find God speaks to us in all kinds of ways. So what happened to Jonah? It says this, Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. How do you do that? How do you do that? It's a strange phrase, isn't it? He fled from the presence of the Lord. Now, if we know our Bibles at all, you'll know it says in Psalm 139, where can I flee from your presence? It's like, it's impossible. He says, if I go here, you're there. If I go there, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, if you're on the wrong bed, he knows about it. He's there. It's like, God, you're there. Where can I flee from your presence? Nothing you don't see. There's nothing you don't see. But here it says he did. Now, what does it mean? Well, it's interesting. The word presence in the Bible, in both Hebrew and Greek, actually, has this sense face. It means face. He fled from the face-to-face fellowship with God that was the privilege of the prophet. That was a special privilege of the prophet, that they had kind of face-to-face fellowship. Like probably Moses is the most wonderful illustration of it. We're told that Moses, the great prophet, went before God. When he came out, his face is shining. 
He'd been in the presence. He'd been in the face of God. God had been talking to him face to face. That's what it means. And to be honest, that's what makes the prophet unique. He's in that kind of relationship with God. He can have access to God. He's near to God. And that's why he can speak on God's behalf. That's that's what gives him the authority to speak. So you'll find with Moses initially, when he goes to Pharaoh, you remember the story? God says to Moses, go down to Egypt and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses does exactly that. He goes down to Pharaoh and says, thus says the Lord, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, who's the Lord? Push off. And you think, Moses is going, oh, I never expected to go back to God. He says, he told me to push off. And God says, now go and say this to him. Okay. Last says the Lord goes, goes again. And, and actually, Pharaoh says, go away, go away, go away. But what happens is this, interestingly. He keeps going back to God. As he keeps going back to God, you read the story at the beginning of Exodus. And at the beginning, Pharaoh looks like some un- unyielding, incredible authority. And Moses is like nothing. And he keeps going back to God, going back to God. And as the story goes on, Pharaoh begins to shrink. And Moses begins to grow. Because he keeps coming into the presence of the Lord again. And he comes bringing the presence of the Lord. So that ultimately, Pharaoh says, okay, go, go. And he actually says this, and bless me as well. This is this great emperor asking Moses, please bless me. Because it's evident this guy comes from the presence of the Lord. He keeps going into the presence of the Lord, coming from the presence of the Lord. Similar with Elijah. Elijah confronts King Ahab. And Ahab initially reacts to him. He says, and then he says this, the God before whom I stand. That's Elijah's address. The God before whom I stand. It's utterly vindicated. See, beloved, the world is waiting to see a church that looks like it comes from the presence of the Lord. See, our government was, oh, our laws are changing. Yeah, the moral thing's moved on. Come on, let's change the church. Catch up. 21st century church. Catch up. It'll only take a few more years and the church will catch up. They'll change their rules. Beloved, we've got to be those who go into the presence of the Lord. Let me hear what he has to say. What does his book say? What does his truth say? And we say, no, no, I come from the presence of the Lord. We're not just catching up with the, the culture switches, adjusting. We're not, we're not the product of culture. We're the product of the almighty God. We hear from God. And so being in the presence of the Lord is crucial for us. That doesn't mean, you know, you stand at the, uh, the, the school gates and say to your friends, you know, thus says the Lord. But, but they meet a consistency in us. They meet with the way we are, maybe with our children, maybe our conversation, maybe be the way we talk about other people, the conversation we refuse to get drawn into, or the stand that we take. There's a sense about us, beloved, that we're in touch with God. It's not just we go to that church on Sunday mornings. There's some values that are deeply ingrained in our hearts because we hear his voice. We're in fellowship with him. We don't drift off from the presence of the Lord to, well, what is the paper saying? What is the media saying? What is popular sportsmen saying? No, we, we come and meet with God. Are we doing that? Or do we find we're being reshaped? Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. He couldn't live comfortably with God, what God was saying with him. 
That tends to happen to us when we, we know God's saying something to us which we don't find palatable. We don't really want to do that. And the sense of intimacy begins to fade because I don't want to do what he said to me. So Jonah, Jonah went from the presence of the Lord. In fact, no presence, no prophet, really. Because it's that intimacy that gives him authentic authority. That's what the church needs, authentic authority. Being in the presence of the Lord. Now, we know the story a bit, so we know there came a turning point. It's possible for us to hear, say, well, I never went to the far country. A bit like the prodigal son. You know, the prodigal son went away and then came back. And, well, I never went away. Some of us feel that. Some of us say, well, I never went into the far country. I wish I had a bit of a testimony. I never went off. But remember, Jesus told the story of the prodigal son to very religious people. That's the setting. That's a reason. He got, we call it the parable of the prodigal sons. Actually, he told a story of a man who had two sons. Two sons. Why did he tell the story? Well, Jesus kept on eating with the wrong people. He's eating with sinners. He's mixing with the wrong people. And these religious people said, who do you think you're supposed to be a rabbi? What are you doing? And then Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. He tells the story of the son who comes back. And, then, and, and the... And the righteous son says, what are you doing? Throwing a party for this guy. He wasted your money. I've never gone away. And the prodigal father, father says, look, come on in. He was dead. He's alive again. He was lost. He's found. He said, well, you never threw a party for me. And he said, look, all I have is yours. So it's possible, dear friends, to never have gone away. Think, well, I never did that but actually still not be in the presence of the Lord. Not be enjoying his love, not blown away with, man, he loves me this much. Just hoping on the fact you never went away makes you okay. He wants, he wants fellowship with us. So don't think, well, this isn't for me. For all of us to hear this word, Jonah went from the presence of the Lord. Next thing we find is he found a ship. It's interesting, he... God says to him, I want you to go to Nineveh. He thinks, no, I'll go to Tarshish. And it's interesting, Elijah, you read the story of Elijah. It says, God says to Elijah, go to the brook. Next verse says, he arose and went to the brook. Then the Lord says to him, go to Zarephath. The next verse says, Elijah arose and went to Zarephath. Here, he says, go to Nineveh. Next verse says, Jonah arose and went to Tarshish. <laughs> Goes exactly the other way. And he comes to the harbor and when he arrives at the harbour, hey, what do you know? There's a ship going to Tarshish. So he gets on board. Must be okay. See, when you're not really listening to God, things turn up. But you think, oh, must be okay. And probably God led us this way. It's, we, we stumble into things. It happens. There he is. There she is. There it is. I've been in pastoral ministry long enough, sadly, to have heard guys say, well, we were thrown together. My marriage wasn't going too well. And well, this woman at the office, she was so sensitive. And I don't know, she was kind and thoughtful. And it wasn't working. And anyway, there she was. I mean, we were kind of thrown together. We were kind of thrown together. Well, this business came along. Well, I knew it was, I know it wasn't quite an honest business, but I mean, I kept getting drawn into this guy's world. I mean, 
I got on his boat. It came along. The reality is, Satan has a fleet of ships going to Tarshish. There'll be another one along tomorrow. He can throw things across your path. When you're no longer listening, things turn up that you can clutch to and then later think, what on earth was I doing? Because you're no longer listening. You're no longer careful. You're letting things work out as they did. He just stumbled into this. And then it says he's, he got into the ship, he went down, and he fell asleep. It's a sad story. He went down into the ship and fell asleep. Now, there's nothing wrong with sleep. Praise God for sleep. If you've just been to New Day, praise God you've got any sleep at all. <laughs> Sleep's a blessing from God. The Bible makes it clear. It's God's way of providing. The Lord has given rest. He gives his beloved rest. The Lord's my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He's not scared of rest. Rest's good. But also in the Bible, you find a kind of sleep that is just disengaged. It's like, I'm not in this. I'm not really, I, you know, I'm just, I'm out of this. He's, he fell asleep. He's no longer relevant. He's not relevant. He's fallen asleep. This prophet, this voice of God, he's asleep. And so sleep can just be, well, I'm not really engaged. It's like, you know, there are house groups here. How many, we mentioned in the announcements, if you'd like to be engaged, be in a serving team. Yeah, well, I'm a bit busy. I see you're asleep, eh? There'll be a prayer meeting. Ah, oh, prayer meeting. Ah, yeah, yeah. oh, can't manage that. Asleep, asleep. See, our nation's in such peril. And morally, our nation is on such a slope. It's so losing its way. I've never known such times of upheaval. Our television's last night celebrating how downhill we're going. Pride, proud of it. Losing our way. We're going to pray. Yeah, well, I haven't got time. What are you doing? I'm watching Poldark. Oh, sleep? How asleep can you get? How asleep can we get? He went down, he was asleep. Aimless, really. Got depressed. It's funny, you can be bored and very busy. Sometimes people say, oh, you're very busy. You can be very busy, but in your guts, you're asleep. You're kind of bored with it all. And that's what happened to him. He's, he's really losing the way. He's, he's really lost it. And we try to find other things to give us our, our moments of excitement. The things that are perfectly valid. You know, things that we all enjoy, like sports and things. But actually, that's where you get your action. That's, that's the whole thing. That's where you come alive. That's really missing it. He fell asleep. Jesus in Gethsemane said, can't you pray with me for an hour? They fell asleep again. He's kind of not engaged, really. And Jonah's just not engaged. He's not in the battle. He's not in the battle. Jesus said this, if the salt has lost its savor, it's good for nothing. It's good for nothing. It's a waste of time. If the salt's not working, it's just, I sort of tread it underfoot. And that's where Jonah is kind of trodden underfoot. He's irrelevant. He's under, he's full asleep. And then you get this wonderful, it's just a marvelous moment when they come to him. 
And it's kind of the turning point. Rather like the prodigal son, where you get that phrase, he came to himself. <laughs> Huge blessing. When life's busy or even nothing's happening, the moment you come to yourself, you suddenly wake up. What am I doing? This is life. I've only got one life to live. God's given me a life. I can count for Jesus. It's not going to be long. He he suddenly woke up. What am I doing? Because they asked him, who are you? Who are you? This is my Hebrew. I fear the Lord. Doesn't look like it. I know for myself, I I got saved as, um, I I come from a completely non-Christian background. My parents were not Christians until very late in life. They didn't have Bibles, they didn't pray, nothing. There was nothing there. They didn't go to church or anything. And uh, one day, my sister, who left home, Billy Graham came to London. She came home a Christian and came home one night and said, I've become a Christian. I said, How do you become a Christian? I've been born again. What's born? What are you talking about, born again? Never heard such language. And she's talking to me and talking to me. And, you know, it's not a stranger knocking my door. It's my sister. I can see something's happened to her. And she said, Do you believe Jesus is alive? I said, supposed to have been raised on the third day, isn't he? Casually, she said, that means he's alive. I suddenly knew it was true. Suddenly, you, know, you get born again in strange ways, don't you? But I remember she said, he's alive. I thought, oh, he's alive? Then she said, I know my sins are forgiven. I know I'm going to heaven. I know God is my father. Said, Why hasn't anyone told me this before? And that evening, I knelt down. And I did something we've kind of invented I asked Jesus into my heart. That's not what the Bible talks about, actually. But that was the language we were using. I asked Jesus into my heart. And so, you know, it's like I said to all the other things that mattered a lot to me. Move over. Jesus is coming in. It was no like, not like the Bible where, where Jesus says to Simon Peter, follow me. So he left his nets and followed Jesus. Or to Matthew, who's, who's a tax collector, follow me, left that, follow Jesus. I stayed where I was and asked Jesus in. So I'm just, my old life is really there still. I started going to church on Sunday mornings. It's the only thing I changed. I prayed occasionally. Usually, God, sorry about that, get me out of this, please. Help. But I was, there's no kind of, I wasn't following Jesus. I just asked him in. I remember once I was walking down in Brighton on a Saturday night. Brighton's a real young people's town. I loved the buzz of Saturday nights. I lived for it. Parties and all kinds of nonsense we got up to. And uh, I remember walking through Brighton. And I'm walking down the street with a gang of guys. And, and there's a young man, my age, and he's standing on the door uh, on, the, on the corner. And he's giving bits of paper to people. And I think, what is this, a new bar or a new club or something? And I take it from him and he says, do you know what you're living for? Do you know Jesus? Oh, fine. Stick that in my pocket. That's very uncomfortable. I'm a Hebrew. I serve the Lord. I thought, what am I doing? I was wrestling with that quite a bit. And a few Sundays later, a guy preached in our church. He was a young fellow, actually, not the usual pastor. And he preached from Galatians. And he said this, You were running well, who has hindered you that you no longer obey the truth? It's a verse from Galatians. Took it really right out of context and just preached it. You were running well. I think I meant it when I asked Jesus into my heart. 
My sister was going to All Souls Langham Place. John Stott's the preacher. Come up to a guest service. I went up, heard the great John Stott preach the gospel. First time I'd ever heard the gospel preach. John Stott, at the end, he said, come forward. I said, I'll go forward. Shook the great man's hand. I meant it. I was excited. You did run well. Who's hindered you? You don't no longer obey the truth. And it was like I was the only person in the meeting. Honestly, I felt like, I mean, it's probably like 800. It's quite a big church, in, even in those days. 800 used to attend. But I felt like I'm the only guy there. And I felt God said to me, I want your life. And I want it now. And I'd fooled around. I'd been baptized at some time and then drifted. I kept drifting, drifting, drifting. And I felt God said this to me. I won't speak to you about this again. I want your life. I want it now. And I won't speak to you about this again. And I was scared. Absolutely captivated. God. And for the first time in my life, I just went home from that meeting. I got on my knees and I said, Lord, as far as I know, you have it. I mean, I was making a mess of it anyway. It wasn't some great sacrifice. Here's a noble life. It's like, here's a mess if you want it. And I, as far as I knew how, I said, you have it. I lost all my friends. My old life just died. And I mean, I, it was actually quite a painful season. Very lonely, difficult time. But I could dance on the grave. I could dance on the place where that old life went. You know, within a year or two, I was baptized in the Spirit. Within another year, I was in full-time ministry. God had an adventure. <laughs> oh, my God. What an adventure. And I'm just a kid fooling around. God had such an adventure. I want your life. Who are you? That's what he said to Jonah. Who are you? I'm a Hebrew. Well, come on then. I fear the Lord. Well, come on then. What are you playing at? And that's, that's what it was for me. What are you playing at? And that was, that was the wonderful turning point in the story. And for me, that was life-changing time. Absolutely life-changing. One sermon changed my life. I prayed that this morning, that that might be true for some of you. It might change your life. You line up properly. The way God wants it to be. We say, yes, Lord, we go with him. And, and the, the story comes to an end where it says this wonderful words, wonderful words. The word of the Lord came a second time to Jonah. I love that. I love that. See, the book of Jonah is quite unlike any other prophet. If you read, if you read Isaiah the prophet, page after page of prophesying, you just find chapter after chapter, magnificent. Jonah, four, no, sorry, eight words, Jonah says. Where's all this prophesying of Jonah? Eight words. What's the Jonah all about then? It's about the man. It's about what happened to him. It's about God and his incredible love for his children. That he doesn't let go. When God says to, says to Jonah, go, and he goes another way. The next line doesn't say, Amos, I've got a job for you. Bye, Jonah. Amos, come on, I've got a job. Jonah didn't want it. No, no, it's all about him pursuing him. See, when God starts with it, this is the wonderful thing about God. He doesn't just want a job done. He wants you to do it. He's, he loves you. He's got ambition for you. There are works, the Bible says, that God prepared beforehand for you to walk in. 
Things that will give you meaning, purpose, identity. At the end, a story you can tell. Because in God's infinite mercy, in spite of our stupidity and our drifting, he says, come on, I've got you, I want you, I want you, I want you. I've got plans for you. He's got ambition for your success. It's breathtaking. What a God we serve. What a God we serve. It's not goodbye, Jonah, clear off then. Not at all. The story is God pursuing him, bringing him back. And then this, this word of the Lord comes to him a second time. And then it says this, he went according to the word of the Lord. Now notice that difference. That's real repentance. This is the word. I don't want to do it. Well, it's not like, oh, okay, then. This word, then. No, it's the same word. It's the same word. See, repentance, like, like I said at the moment, I threw in a few things, like go and befriend that refugee. I don't want to do that. See, it's, it's come back to whatever is God saying to you. Because he's in charge. That's the whole deal. I'm a Hebrew. I serve the Lord. That is the whole deal. We do it his way. The same word comes to us. It's like Simon Peter. Simon Peter, look, watch and pray. No, watch and pray. No, I'm okay. They may deny you. I will never deny you. Then they come along and say, hey, your voice, aren't you with him? I'm sure you're with him. No, I don't know him. No, you're with him. No, I am not with him. Hey, surely. Then he curses and swears and says, I'm not with him. And then he goes out and weeps. And what happens? The word of the Lord comes to him a second time. Comes and finds him. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. The word comes a second time. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my I've called you, Simon, son of Jonah. It's not that I was so impressed with you. I know your background. I know you. You're going to be a rock. I've got ambition for you. You haven't got for yourself. I can make you that. It gave him real repentance and, and gave him real restoration. It's not like on the day of Pentecost, Peter's standing at the back of the crowd saying, thanks for mercy, Lord. Sock it to him, James. Preach it, James. I'm with you, James. I know I'm disqualified. No, no, he's there. Peter, standing with the eleven, thoroughly fulfills what God had for him. In spite of him, I don't know him, I'm not with him. That's the story of Jonah. He's fully, fully restored back into what God has for him. Thoroughly fulfilling the purpose of God. Amen? You feel you've lost it somewhat? Drifting into a bit of sleep? Let me just close with one further thing. Jesus said this, one greater than Jonah is here. What does he mean? He's talking about himself. One greater than Jonah is here. One greater than Jonah. I love the way it says, throw me into the storm. That's what Jonah said. Let, let, let me be like a sacrifice that's thrown into peril. One greater than Jonah is here. It says about Jesus, they handed him over. Handed him over to Pilate, handed him over to the soldiers, handed him over to be crucified. Then above it all, it says this, God did not spare his own son, but handed him over for us all. The great handed over one, the great thrown into the storm one. 
the one who can end your storm because he said, oh, throw me over. I'll take your place. I'll, I'll take the shame. I'll take all the mess you've made. We've been singing about it. We love it. He takes away the shame. Every time I sing the kind of songs Chris has been leading us in this morning, I think, Lord, thank you so much. The shame I gathered. The stupidity I was in. As a Christian. He said, take it all away. I'll never get over it. I love worship. He took away my shame. Throw me into the storm. Jesus was thrown into the storm. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the king who conquered the grave. He's back to life again. Offering us life. Offering us new life. Go tell my brothers what a triumphant word that is. I love it. It's one of the first things Jesus said after the resurrection. Go tell my brothers. What has he done to be called brother? You called them followers. Then you said, you can be my friends. Now he's coming back from the grave. He's like, tell my brothers. What did you do to become a brother? Nothing at all. Said, I don't know him. Jesus did it all. Jesus did it all. Makes us brothers. Brings us home. Gives us a new start. Gives us a new start. Maybe you don't know him at all. Maybe a friend has invited you this morning and you've never met him. You've never met him. I was like that. I thought, why hasn't someone told me this before? I can know all my sins forgiven. A fresh start. And however badly I got hold of it, God got me in and then started working out a new plan. Or for some of us, well, we've drifted. It's kind of a bit of a sleep. And he said, come on, come back into my presence. Can we stand to pray, please? draw near to Jesus, Lord, we love you. We're so grateful, Lord, that you really stood in our place. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came from glory in order to pay the ransom. You came not to be served, but to serve and give up your life as ransom. Thank you so much. You paid the ransom. You paid for us that we go free. And we th- I want to thank you, Father, again for your extraordinary patience with us and your appetite for fellowship with us. Your desire to bless us when, when we, get, we get distracted. And Lord, I just want to ask you right now, Father, won't you draw Lord, your people back into fellowship with you? Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.